This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Because of her love, she gave her life. Every aspect of it, I believe, was surrendered to the Savior. And I, and I say that because she and the others traveled with Jesus, at least for these, these three and a half years of His earthly ministry. We see them traveling along and themselves being put in some very uncomfortable positions at times, which we'll talk about later. She had a commitment to Christ that was apparent beyond mere words. Today, Pastor David will be teaching on the character and life of Mary Magdalene and her devotion to the Savior. Mary's life could be summed up in one word, and that word is surrender. Her life was wholly and completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. She was filled with numerous demons, and her life was dedicated to darkness before Christ. Once Jesus healed her of the demons, she clung to Jesus and never let go of Him. What word defines your character now that you're saved? Well, let's join Pastor David in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 1, as we begin our character study of Mary. There's something in the lives of both of these characters, Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea, that, that should be of great value in our lives. And there's, if you've read your Bible very much, you know there's not a whole lot of extensive stuff spoken about either one. As I started to, to do the study, actually as I laid out the study several months ago that we were going to go through several and various characters, Old Testament and New, I had put on there uh, uh, for Mary Magdalene. And as I studied and as I prepared for it, I thought, you know, along with Mary, there, there are some other individuals that I wanted to bring in. And I started to think, well, I can bring in some of the other unnamed women in the New Testament that, again, were connected with Christ in various ways. You, I, I can think of the woman with the issue of blood that because of her faith, she worked through the crowd. She pressed through every obstacle that was before her, every wall and every barrier that was before her to be able to touch Christ, to be able to have that connection point with Christ. And there's so much that can be said about that in, in a lot of our lives. And some of you are here tonight because you literally pressed through walls of opposition. Perhaps your family were were literally anti-Christ, uh, or they were so pro some denomination or some other religious organization that a relationship with Christ just just wasn't even in their concept. No, as long as you're good in this church, as long as you're good in this relationship uh, uh, with this organization, you're going to be fine. But for this woman, as well as for some of you, she was willing to press through the barriers to be able to reach Christ, and, and Christ touched her in that moment. I was thinking also of speaking about the, the woman, the, the prostitute, who came into Simon the leper's house, even as Jesus was dining there, uh, and she came and began anointing the Lord's head. And uh, this was Simon the, the Pharisee's house, the, the, the prostitute. There's, there's a couple of different issues of, and times of people anointing Christ. One was literally Mary, the, the sister of Martha that anointed Christ's head. But there was another one, this, this prostitute that came in and began anointing Jesus' feet. And the, the Pharisee looked at our thought in his mind. He said, you know, if, if he really understood who that woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And so Jesus, remember, he gave him that little parable about one who owed greatly and the other who owed just a little bit. 
And he asked Simon, he said, now, who do you think loved more? And Simon said, well, I guess the one who was forgiven more. And that's when he spoke right to Simon's heart that this woman loves greatly because she's been forgiven greatly. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Simon needed forgiving a lot? Shake your head like this. Yeah. Even though he was a Pharisee, even though he was a religious ruler or, or leader, we, we see just from the small little window in Simon's life that there was this pride, there was this religious arrogance, there was this I'm above everyone else kind of attitude. And beloved, the word continually talks about the greatness of the sin of pride. You know, pride keeps us from touching Christ. Pride keeps us from having real and true relationship. Because you know what, I can kind of do this thing on my own. I don't desperately need Christ the way you do. I mean, you know, I got my act pretty well together, so I don't really desperately need it. When in reality, we all desperately need him. Desperately need him. And see, Simon, that, that wasn't firing in his head, but it was definitely firing in that young woman's life. I was thinking about the woman that, uh, again, the, the Pharisees, again, and I, I, I love this story because it speaks so much of the heart of, of Jesus. Remember the, the woman where the Pharisees came and threw her down at the feet of Jesus and says, Teacher, we, we've caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And the first question that always comes to my mind, so where's the guy? Well, if you caught her in the act of adultery, there ought to be two laying here at the feet of Jesus. But there wasn't. There was just this woman. It makes me kind of think that maybe the guy was one of them. He was one of their guys. And uh, said, we'll take care of this. So we'll cover it for you. But this woman that was thrown at the feet of Jesus, they had every right within the law of the land to stone that woman. Within the law, it was absolutely right for them to stone that woman. But, beloved, aren't you glad we don't live under the law? That we are not subject to the law. Christ fulfilled the law for us. Therefore, we live in grace. And every failure that you and I make along the way, every failure you and I make along the way, and I mean every failure you and I make along the way, is covered by the blood. It's covered by the grace of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we just go out and say, Hey! It's all right, covered by the blood, and go on and, and act like the world. No, because then we literally drag the blood of Christ down. And, and again, we, 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 we make small the things of Christ, and the Lord will not allow that. And that doesn't even speak of someone who truly has Christ in their heart. Because if truly Christ is in our lives and we're desiring to serve him, we're not going to continually be dragging his name purposefully and just kind of wisp it off and say, Oh, that's okay. Saved by grace, I can do whatever I want to. You see, there's a lot of small stories within the Word of God that we can look at the not only the character of the individual, like this woman who falls before the Lord, knowing that she's absolutely guilty, knowing beyond a doubt that she's guilty, but yet now she is at the foot of Christ. She's able to make that connection, whereas these Pharisees weren't able to make that connection. All throughout the Word, we see these little scenarios, these little snippets of individuals' lives. Many of them, we don't even know their name, but we see how God worked in and through not only them, but also the circumstances that they find themselves in for God to make himself known in their lives and to draw them to himself. And some, unfortunately, reject him totally and completely. And we never hear of any turnaround in their life. And what a sad and desperate thing. Tonight we're going to look at these two, Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea. 
And again, though there's not a whole lot of information on both of them, I believe that there's enough to glean in each one's story to, again, make a point for us to be able to, to, to take home tonight and, and hopefully kind of allow the Lord to uh, uh, work in our hearts and lives. Magdala is a small town on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee, not very far off the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's north of a, a large city by the name of Tiberias. Magdala is in kind of a little valley. There's a little main roadway that leads on further west over to the Mediterranean shore that kind of goes through Magdala. There's not a whole lot spoken about it, but, but many people believe because of the name, they, they speculate that Mary of Magdalene, uh, that, that this was her birthplace. And yet really in the scriptures, we find neither her birth nor her death. We only find this really small window of her life. One thing we catch really quick in, in this particular uh, portion here in, in Luke 8 was that something particular had happened to Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons removed from her. Christ removed seven demons from this woman. Do you think that there was a, a bit of appreciation in her life? Do you think that maybe in her life, her life, once she met Jesus and those seven demons were removed, that there was a change in her life dynamically? I believe so, and I believe at that point in time, Mary was was again so uh, uh, so so gratitude, so filled with gratitude toward Christ that just everything that she had, she she would be more than willing to give to him. But this group of of women, uh, um, Mary and, and Joanna uh, and and Susanna and and some others. They, again, followed along, providing for the Lord, perhaps uh, cooking the meals in the evening as they stopped during the night, uh, providing even out of their own uh, finances to be able to, again, bless the Lord, just out of personal gratitude. And she became one of his followers. Out of this gratitude, following Christ, sacrificing of her own life, her own goods, in order to provide for the needs of Jesus and the, the, at least the other twelve. There indicates that, that there had to be probably some kind of a, a financial wealth in Mary's life. We don't, we don't know that a whole lot. Uh, it might have been a little, and she was just giving out of the little that she had. We just don't know. We don't know her age. We don't know her marital status. She could have been single. She could have been married. She could have been widowed. We just don't know. I believe that you could probably throw out the fact that she's married. We don't hear anything of her husband, the, 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 the time and effort and all that she did in spending with Christ. She could have been single, and, and perhaps uh, as a woman in that culture, she could have had a dowry. The dowry was to be able to give to a future husband. My personal thought, and this is total speculation, okay? Uh, my, to- my, my thought is that possibly just as a single woman, she was willing to give out of her dowry to support the work of the ministry that she saw in Christ because she saw not only the importance of it for the world around her, but she saw how it impacted her own life. But whatever the source of her finances, we do know that Mary had this heart of gratitude to the Savior that was demonstrated in very practical, very purposeful, and I believe sacrificial ways. Now let me ask you, in, in, in this process of things, and looking at character and, and how we ought to live, I, I won't ask tonight how many of you had demons cast out of you. I, I don't know. Maybe some have and some haven't. I, I won't even ask how many of you have been uh, supernaturally healed. Maybe some of you have and some of you haven't. 
But you know, if you claim Christ as your Savior tonight, the greatest miracle of all has taken place in your life. You were dead. And you've been now risen and alive in Christ. You were destined for an eternity in hell, away from the very presence of God. Now you have the promise of eternity in His presence. Let me ask you, how much gratitude is there in your life? Do you live a life of gratitude, I guess is the best way to put it. Do you live your life with, with, with the fact that during the day, man, I, I, Lord, I'm just so grateful for not only who you are, but, but what you've done in my life. Even if you've never done anything else the rest of my life, in my life, Lord, you, you saved me. You, you gave me eternal life. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Because of her love, she gave her life. Every aspect of it, I believe, was surrendered to the Savior. And I, and I say that because she and the others traveled with Jesus, at least for these, these three and a half years of his earthly ministry. We see them traveling along and themselves being put in some very uncomfortable positions at times, which we'll talk about later. She had a commitment to Christ that was apparent beyond mere words. Again, I could go around the room, and as a matter of fact, uh, even even in a more bold way, you could go and you could stand on a, a street corner or at a, at a grocery store or at a shopping center and just simply ask people, is there a commitment in your life to Jesus Christ? When, when an organization like, like Barna does their reports in, in the United States, it wasn't too long ago, they said that uh, upwards to 70 to 75% of the people in the United States profess faith in Jesus Christ. I dare say it's just words. It's just words because I, I see the condition of our land, I see the condition of our nation, I see the condition of marriages, I see the condition of our youth, I see the condition of our men, I see the condition of our women, I see the condition of the society we live in. And I think, you know what, this is a commitment that is just mere words. And beloved, the Lord wants more than just words. Her, for, for, for Mary Magdalene, just like many others that we read her commitment was every aspect of her life. I believe her commitment was in her time. We, we see that because she's there and she's serving. I believe that her commitment, yeah, was in her finances. And you think, oh, you're not going to talk about finances tonight, are you, Pastor? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's right there. Because she gave out of what she had for the service for the Lord. It was a testament of her devotion to the Lord. I've heard people say that you can find out people's devotion to the Lord by checking what's in their checkbook or what's not in their checkbook or how it's gone. And if all that's gone out of the checkbook was for, went to the movie theaters here, went to do this here, me, 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 pay for all my toys, pay for all my uh, uh, fun things, then, then you think, okay, where is your devotion? Is your devotion all about me? What part of your life is really and truly devoted to the Lord? Now, we don't know how much, but... I believe that that's worth looking at when we read that, that she supported the work of the Lord provided for him from her substance. 
we go on. There's, there's some, uh, again, uh, who try to tie these other women that I spoke with together, but uh, I don't believe that, that they are the same ones. I believe that when Luke is speaking of Mary Magdalene, uh, there is a specific woman there. He doesn't need to uh, speak of others and not give the names. These others that don't have names given, I believe that they were other women who, again, uh, uh, intersected in their life in, uh, uh, again, con- connecting with Christ. As we look at this, the next time that we read of Mary by name at least is at the scene of the cross. So here we have this intersection of Joseph of Arimathea preparing to get the body of Christ and the women who we've been talking about, Mary Magdalene with them, coming to this point as Joseph of Arimathea takes the body of Christ off the cross prepares it, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And the women are right there. They're, they're standing back. They're, they're watching what's going on in order to see where they're going to lay the Lord, where they're going to put his body. Being at the crucifixion itself really was a dangerous stand for any of the followers of Jesus to make because being at the crucifixion, particularly with their mindset toward him, would connect them with him. As a matter of fact, uh, this, this is another test. How, ma- how many disciples do we read about that were around the cross? Just one. John. And, and, and to the best of our knowledge, John was the youngest one. And yet he was there. We, we also believe that John also had this connection somehow with the high priest. Remember, he was the one that was able to, to get in during the, during the trial of Jesus. So, John was there, and probably there was a little bit of protection from him or for him just because of relationship, but he was there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we have this one, and all the rest of the disciples, they were hiding out because they were, they were, they were fearful. They were, they were fearful of the, the Jewish and the Roman leaders. They figured, you know, if they've taken Christ, surely they'll take me. But yet for Mary and these other women, there was still this, this selfless, submission that that pretty much no longer feared any kind of opposition it's kind of like you know what it just doesn't matter you you you've taken my lord my my life <laughs> what what does it matter what does it matter Again, I, I see that and I see the depth of the devotion that they had for Christ. And I'm not bashing the guys, but I really see it in these women who it just didn't matter anymore. They've taken my Lord. My life doesn't really matter anymore. They're right there for him. On one hand, you know, you could say that all they had stood for and, and, and hoped for was now destroyed. And, and what else would matter to them? But I think that it was possibly even more than that. I think that there was a numbness of, of hopelessness at that point. A numbness of hopelessness. Because if you remember, even the women didn't remember that Jesus was going to raise again. Why, why did they come Sunday morning? To see the open tomb? No, they, they, they came with the preparation to be able to uh, uh, anoint and prepare his body uh, for, again, for the extended stay. Not for the short stay, but for the extended stay. So I believe that there was this numbness that, the, that was there. I, I feel that there was still this absolute surrender just to follow him and even to follow him to death if necessary, because it just didn't matter anymore. Because everything that they had put their hope in, 
was, was now dead and was now laying in that cross. Theirs was a willingness, I believe, to, li- to live a life of such absolute surrender that nothing else mattered beyond staying close to Jesus. And the reason I say that is because once Jesus is taken out of the scene, there is that hopelessness that's there. If, if Jesus was only a part of my life and he's gone, that's okay, i got the rest of my life to live. I don't want to mess the rest of my life up just because he's dead. But if my life is everything in Christ and suddenly he's not there, then of what value is my life? How much value is Christ to us? How much import is he in our lives that he is everything? And, you know, if if I can't serve him, if I can't walk with him, how much of the rest of this really, really matters? The unfortunate thing, it's, it's unclear what happens to Mary after Jesus' resurrection. But the one thing we do know is that Mary Magdalene became the very first to witness the resurrected Christ. And that is so totally awesome. To be the one person of all the people in the world, not as disciples, not, not even as mom, you know. Um, I don't know how your mama is, but if, uh, you know, if I hadn't appeared to my mama first, I'd have heard about it. But, uh, <laughs> But he appeared to to Mary Magdalene first. And what a blessing that was. Now, we don't know what happened to her after that, but I I think it's pretty safe to to place her probably with the other 119 in that upper room. I I think that that's probably a a fair bet, that she was probably with them in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. And again, we we read about that in Acts chapter 2. And yet beyond the resurrection. We don't read her name again listed in Scripture, but you know what? To be the first one that Jesus appears to, that's that's plenty. That's plenty. I, I think Mary said, "Wow, what more? What more could there be?" Let's look now at uh, at Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And again, the very first mention we find of Joseph is is what we read just a moment ago, right following the crucifixion. We don't read about him prior to that. We read about him after the crucifixion, after Christ is already dead, is when Joseph of Arimathea comes into at least the, uh, the gospel picture. And again, we find his name and we find his actions listed in all four of the gospels. So that's pretty powerful too to to again the the account of Joseph of Arimathea being listed in all four of the gospels so we're going to look at at all four of them because there's something to glean from all four of them you know we're in in all of this we're we're expressly told that that Joseph was a rich man and a, a, a disciple of Jesus particularly in the Matthew passage John clarifies though that he was a secret disciple for what reason? Why was he a secret disciple? Right. But he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was fear. Thank you. Because he was fearful. I don't know about you. Have any of you ever been fearful? I, I think if, if every one of us were, were truthful, he, even a guy as big as Al said he's been, or I mean, as uh, 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 Bruce, I drew an absolute blank. Julie's husband uh, was, is, is fearful. And, and I bet Al's even been fearful, okay? Okay. 
so that's not an abnormal thing. It's a real thing. He was a disciple of Christ, but he was fearful because he was a, a member of the Sanhedrin, and he knew that, wow, if, if I make this public in this situation at this time, uh, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of problem. I believe that his fear of the Jews was, was twofold. And not only was he a member of the Sanhedrin, but he was a prominent member of the council, it says. So he wasn't just, you know, one of, one of the, one of the guys. No, he was one of the head guys. And so as a follower of Jesus, I believe that both his position within the Sanhedrin as well as his life was at stake. Because again, those guys weren't playing fair. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue sharing with us various character studies throughout the Bible the next time you join us. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. The Open Word podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study as Pastor David shares insights with us from the lives of various followers of God in the Bible. That's next time on The Open Word.